If you're just joining us for the first time this morning, we've completed a sermon series on Romans chapter 8, which uh, some people say is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. And I think one of the main reasons they would say that that's the greatest chapter in the whole Bible is because it begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And so the, the gospel, when we think about what's the gospel, the, the gospel is that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. I, if you remember last week, if you stand before God and God calls out, is, is there anyone, is there any thought, is there any word, is there any activity that can bring anything against Paul Phillips or against you? And the most beautiful silence you've ever heard rings out. And that's because there's no condemnation. Because God's not looking at me. He's looking at Christ. He's looking at Christ on me. He's looking at Christ's righteousness. So there's no condemnation. And because there's this no condemnation, then we can go live these lives that have uh, great impact and great import and great adventure because we know that no matter what happens... There's no condemnation and there's also no separation. There's nothing that can happen in this world that can ever separate you from the love of God. And when I talked about that last week, I talked about it like two massive anchors in your life, like two massive anchors on a ship. And that Paul is giving us these massive realities. He's intentionally placing it not only into our lives, but to the lives of these first century Christians, whom most of them are going to be put to death. He's trying to say, I know it's going to be difficult. You're going to face this turbulent waters. And in order for you to face the turbulence in your own lives, I've got to provide for you these two massive realities. I've got to remind you of these two massive realities, that there is no condemnation and no separation. And the last point in my sermon was to ask this question. If Paul outfits your life with these two massive anchors. If you're a Christian, why do you have these things on board? I mean, if you were to board a ship and you saw two massive anchors, one at the bow and one at the stern... What, what would you assume the ship was built for? Turbulent waters, turbulent times, chaos in some ways, because it's going to turn this boat over if something doesn't anchor it down. And what I was encouraging you to see is that you've been provided with these two massive realities. And so what are you built for? You're, you're built to set sail. To, to get out into the turbulence of the world, to get out in the chaos of people's lives, to be broadsided with all kinds of questions. That's what we're built for. That's what we're here for, is to move outside of these walls and to put ourselves into relationships and to intentionally put ourselves into places that are all churned up because God needs somebody who can lay down these anchors in the midst of the storm and show people that there's really a, a way to live. There's a, a light in the darkest place. 
But so frequently as Christians, we, we know about these two anchors. We read about these two anchors. We can tell somebody about these two anchors. But we're like a battleship that just cruises up and down the intercoastal waterway. Imagine being out on the intercoastal and you see this massive North USS North Carolina just cruising up and down the intercoastal. You're like, dude, you're not meant for the intercoastal. You need to get out there. You need to set sail. You need to get away from the shore. And so for some of us, we, we need to hear that and we need to be sure of these massive realities that Paul has provided for us, that God has provided for us in Romans 8, and ask ourselves, what, what shore do we need to move away for? And what, what, do, what sort of compass heading do we need to have? What's our next step out into a world? As Paul says, you're, you're like stars shining in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Well, when do you see a star shine? When it's dark. And so as people inside this nice, comfortable place, I want to provide you with the equipment so that when you move out, you're intentionally moving out and putting yourself in places of chaos and turbulence so you can stand and show people what the gospel is all about. And so what's your next step? That's the question that I'm asking throughout the series. Every fall we have a vision banquet. And I'm inviting you again to come to it in two weeks. We'll have a potluck and then we have some an hour-long sort of dialogue and discussion about what's going on at Christ Community Church. And over the last several vision banquets, if you've been here, I've usually tried to have one theme, something that dominates that, I, that I'm trying to call all of us to. And so if you remember the last couple of years, I've had this picture of a, a hole in the wall and, and outside of the wall is this picture of Wilmington. And so I'm trying to call all of us as a church to say, hey, we live inside these walls. We're glad we have these walls. We intentionally built these walls, but we didn't intentionally build the walls to stay inside these walls. We need to move outside. We need to move out into our city. But this year I've been thinking and praying about more individually than corporately and asking the Lord as I I prayed for you, what, God, what's, What's your next step? And of course, that's going to be different for all of us. What, what's, what's Calvin's next step? What's Kathy's next step? What's Diana's next step? What's Tara's next step? What's Alan's next step? What's Nate's next step? What's Jeff's next step? I, I could just go around the room. What's, what is it for you? That's not going to be the same corporately for all of us, but what is it that God is calling you to do? What is it God is calling you to be? What is the next step for you as you work through your relationship with the Lord? Obviously, that's going to be different, different but God, or I would say, well, God person of Christ, he lays down some principles that we can follow here in Matthew chapter 4. And it's these principles in this temptation scene that I want us to look at. And I think we can all use these principles together as we examine what our next step may be. So let's look at this, Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1. 
First of all, just some background. John the Baptist is baptizing people and Jesus comes. And it's in the River Jordan. And when Jesus shows up, you remember John the Baptist says, Behold! And whenever you see that in your, in your Bible, behold, it means pay attention. Wake up. If you were sleeping in the back row, pay, pay attention. So certainly John the preacher, he had some people sitting on the hillside falling asleep. And when Jesus shows up, he says, hey, you back in the back, wake up. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He just showed up. Pay attention. And then Jesus is baptized and then God Himself says, Behold, to the whole world, behold world, here's the Savior. He's coming out. He's stepping out onto the world stage. This is the one everyone needs to see. This is the one everybody's been looking for. This is my chosen one. I want you to pay attention. He's stepping out onto the stage and He's going to say, I am God in the flesh. I have come to take the sin of the world away. And then if you read on in chapter 4, it tells you what his next step is. I think it's verse 13. He steps away from Nazareth into Capernaum, which is his adult hometown, so to speak. And he steps out into this public ministry. It's the beginning of Jesus' three-year public ministry. And he begins to preach. That's his next step. But in between... This behold, he's going to step out on the stage to Jesus stepping out on the stage is these 11 verses. And and in these 11 verses, Jesus wrestles down three critical temptations, three big things that you are going to have to wrestle down yourself. Before you take the next step, before you think about what the next step is, I would ask you to principally to ask yourself, have I wrestled these three things down? Because if you don't, and you take your next step, it might be a wrong step. And so look, let's look at those three things together. First, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4 says... Well, let's go back to verse 3. And the tempter came, or Satan came, and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So the, the first great temptation, and what a weighty temptation it is, is not just to satisfy a physical hunger. It's not just a, a physical temptation. It's, it's to be immediately useful to do something right now. To get something done. And, and Jesus doesn't have to make this move. He's already made the move. But for us, we need to make this move. We need to make a move that He shows us. We need to make a move from being useful to being with God. Before you take your next step, you need to think about, have I made the move from just being useful, from being relevant, to getting something accomplished, to just simply being with God? You see what he says? He says, hey, I, you know what, Satan? No. I, I don't need to do this thing. I don't need to provide this thing in this immediate way. Why? Because I have another supply. 
And that's just living on the Word of God. Just being with God, that's enough. Before I take this step out and I begin this public proclamation, the first thing I need to wrestle down is just, no matter what the usefulness of the public proclamation is, being with God is enough. I don't have to have, or I don't have to accomplish, or I don't have to be useful in any other way. And I wonder if we really think that. See, the next step is not being useful, but being with God. And a critical factor in a life is not what you accomplish, but just being accustomed to God. And I wonder if we really think that, if what really matters is just being with God and not being useful. What really matters is what we accomplish rather than just being accustomed to God. You remember the story, Mary and Martha? Jesus comes to the house. Everybody knows this story. Jesus comes to the house and what happens? They're going to, crowd shows up. Looks like we're going to have to feed some people. <clears throat> and Mary and Martha should be in the kitchen getting stuff done. Because we've got to get stuff done. We've got to be useful. And Martha exits to the kitchen, and what does Mary do? She's not real cooperative. She says, well, I'm just going to stay with Jesus. And you can hear this. You can hear it in your own mind. What does Martha do? She peeks through the door. <coughs> wish my sister would come over and help me. Got to get some stuff done. And just at some point, she just can't hold it in. And so she comes to Jesus and says, tell her to get up. We got stuff to do. What does he say? Mary, get up! Come on! Let's get something done! No! He says, she's chosen the best thing. But you're not getting anything done, Mary. You're not getting anything accomplished. But, but, but that's not the best thing. Getting something accomplished, being useful, it's not the best thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not the best thing. The best thing is just being with Jesus. And when somebody's chosen simply to be with Jesus, then they're going to be effective in their next step. But if you take your next step and think, I've got to accomplish something. I've got to get something done. I've got to be useful. If that's why you would take your next step, you're going to make a bad move. And you've got to wrestle this down to say the most important thing, the primary thing, is just being with Jesus. Another great example. Remember Peter who disowns Christ and then he goes back to fishing and then Jesus has this little dialogue with him on the, you know, like around the campfire and they're taking this little walk along the shore and he's telling Peter, Peter, you're going to be the, you're going to be the man. You're just about ready to step on the world stage. You're going to be the early leader in the New Testament. You're going to give the very first sermon. And when you give it, thousands of people are going to respond. You're that guy, Peter. But I've got to ask you a question. Before you step out on the stage, I've got to know this one thing. And what is it? 
He asked him three times. Do you really love me? Am I it? See, because if I'm not it, when you step out on the stage and thousands of people respond, guess who's going to be it? You are. Or they are. But I'm not going to be it. So I've got to know, do you really love me? Do you see me as the primary importance? Just being with me is all you're going to need, despite whatever else may happen. Do you really see that? Have you really wrestled that down? And so for each of us, before we take the next step, before we think about how God might use us, where God might want us to go, what we might want to step into, we need to ask ourselves, do we really, are we really locked down on Jesus? Knowing no matter what happens, 10,000 people come or zero, being with God's enough. That's, that's one of the things You've got to have in place. And I think it's fascinating in Acts chapter 4. The rulers, the, the important people looked at Peter and John. And this is what they said. We saw that they were unschooled. We saw that they were ordinary. But we took note that they had been with Jesus. And so whatever... The step is, wherever it is God's calling you to, my hope is that people would say, you know what? They're pretty ordinary, but they've been with Jesus. And that makes all the difference. So we have to move from this useful accomplishment mentality to Really just being with God. The second move, verse 5, that we have to move from popularity to pointing to God. Look at verse 5. Everybody knows this. The devil takes Jesus to the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Do something spectacular. Do it in front of this whole city where everyone's going to see. Make sure everybody knows about you. Make sure everybody can see you. Make sure everybody's amazed at you. And so Jesus makes his move from popularity to just pointing to God. And it's a mighty temptation to be spectacular, to be popular, to do things that create the biggest applause. And we can justify that thinking, well, gosh, then God can use me even in a greater way. And we end up stepping into a situation just for the applause. I, I could list a thousand cultural examples, <laughs> but I don't want to just rip on the culture. <laughs> but I do want to just mention one that I, lo I love this every time I see it. What's the little slogan for YouTube? It says YouTube and then colon. And then what does it say? I love it. Broadcast yourself. Don't you just love that? That's the whole slogan of our whole society. Paul, you know what's important? Broadcast yourself. Make sure people know you're out there. Make sure people know you're doing something. Make sure people know you're significant. That's the whole mentality of the culture. 
I'm trying to figure out as a, as a high school student, I'm walking around my high school, I'm walking around my friends, and I'm trying to figure out who's noticing me. Is anybody paying attention? Is that one person paying attention? If I'm in college, what's my major? What am I going to do? What, what am I going to, how am I going to get myself out there? Am I building my resume? Why? So people can see who I am. We're just built in that way. We're built to broadcast ourselves. And you might step into some situation and really you're just trying to broadcast yourself and not broadcast Jesus. And we have to think about that. We have to wrestle that one down. Especially if you're, you're in ministry like the high school students or college students. Are you, are you stepping into that place so people think you're popular? If you're a musician, are you stepping up on stage? Just are you stepping up on stage and a little bit into the spotlight so people could know who you are? If you're going to step behind a pulpit, I mean, this is the most terrifying place to be. Are you doing it to broadcast yourself? One sad example is a guy named Richard Dorch. And he was the president of the PTL club many years ago, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And he ended up in prison, and in prison he wrote a book called Integrity, How I Lost It and My Journey Back. And this is what Richard Dort says about himself. We were so caught up in God's work that we forgot about God himself. You see, you hear that? You can, you can say, oh yeah, I need to take this step into ministry. I need to take this step into the third grade class. I need to do that. And you can get so caught up in God's ministry that you forget about God himself. A TV camera can change a preacher quicker than anything else can. It turns ordinary people into petty potentates. So easy, isn't it, to be swept away by popularity. Everybody loves you. Cars are waiting for you. You go to the head of the line. It was the devastation of the camera for me. It made me less than what God intended me to be. It made me less than what God intended me to be. Why? He hadn't wrestled that one down. He got caught into a very common temptation. The best opposite example... John the Baptist, he's standing in the River Jordan. Thousands of people are coming to him. One of the ones coming to him, God Almighty. Imagine that. I mean, imagine for just a moment, as a human, Jesus Christ, he's looking for you. He's going to, for a moment, join your congregation. I mean, that would be terrifying, would it not, as a preacher? Hey, Jesus just walked in. Whoa! Guess I'm going to zip it today. I mean, just don't want to say anything wrong. Well, Jesus joins this conversation. Hundreds, thousands of people coming to see John the Baptist. And he says, here's the one you need to follow. And when he said it, guess what happened? People started following Jesus. And not too many days later, guess what happens? A few leaders come and say, hey, you're losing market share. I mean, in case you haven't noticed... A lot of people are going that way. And, and a great 
response, what does John say? He must become greater. And I must become less. You see, you have to wrestle that one down. Especially when you step into certain positions. Are you stepping in to broadcast yourself? Are you stepping into the spotlight in some way? Are you really stepping in to point people to Jesus? Final point, moving from power to service. Verse 8, the third temptation. Again, the devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain. And now on this mountain, verse 8, he shows him the world and, and all the glory in the world. And he says to Jesus, all these I can give to you if you just fall down and worship me. I can, I can give you all the kingdoms, all the power, all of this glory. And Jesus makes this move. It's the move that we have to make is to move from power to service or from power to love. Who doesn't like power? I mean, if you live here and a hurricane comes by and the lights flicker, they go off. If you have kids, it's a, kind of exciting, isn't it? I mean, isn't it exciting just even for just a few minutes? Like, oh, cool. Get the candles. Get the flashlight. We, don't, we never got those batteries. We should have listened to the television station, you know. There's just kind of, for like a half an hour, it's like fun, isn't it? And I'm like, quick, eat all the ice cream. I mean, who knows how long... That's my feeling. Yeah, awesome. Get every tub out. Let's eat them all. Who knows? We don't want them to go to waste. I mean, I love it for a half an hour. It's the best half hour. What happens if you don't have power three days later? I need more. Why? We just want to be in control. I've got to have control. I've got to make sure everything's going my way. I've got to be in power. I've got to have that power. I've got to have it in my hands. And when we don't have it, we just are uncomfortable. I love the, the term just has been coined, I think, in the last 10 years. You know this term, helicopter moms. You know that term? You know, the mom who just can't leave their kid alone. Every t- everywhere they go, helicopters, just hovering around, making sure everything's going okay. We're helicopter people. You just want, everything's got to be going just right. You're helicoptering over everything. So just in case something doesn't get, go right, whoosh, you can swoop down and make sure it's all, all put back together again. Why? Because we're control. We're addicted to control. We're addicted, uh, addicted to be in power. Probably one of the most painful accounts is in Luke 22. Jesus is in the upper room. It's, it's his last meal. It's his last few hours. He, he's praying for his disciples. He's, he's trying to explain to his disciples what's going to happen. He's trying to comfort his disciples. And a little argument breaks out. Right in the middle of this very precious time, the disciples get in a little argument. You know what the argument's about? Who's going to be the greatest? 
that terrible? Right in the middle of this moment, the disciples are saying, hey, I think I'm going to be the greatest. Looks like this whole thing's coming to the end and I'm closest to him. No, no, no. I've got to jockey for position. I've got to have power. I, I've got to be there. John chapter 13, which is what I asked you to look at, have in your Bible. This is Jesus' response to power. This is Jesus' response to people trying to be great. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. This is moving from power to love. And this is what it looks like. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. Just imagine that for a moment. God has given you all things into your... You have the power. Now, what would I do if I were at that moment? Oh, man! Power? Judas! Whack! Disciples in the argument? Whack! I mean, I would have just done all kinds of great things with power. But Jesus has wrestled that down. It's not about power. It's about love. So he takes on a towel. And he washes the disciples' feet. You see, I would just wonder when we, when we try to take a step. How easy it is to control people compared to love people. And Jesus shifts away from power and he moves towards loving people. Again, John chapter 21, the same conversation Peter and, and Jesus are having. Peter, Jesus says, you're going to be the leader. This is what he says. When you grow old, somebody will take you where you'd rather not go. I wonder if what your reaction would be if Jesus said that to you this morning. Are you going to be a leader for a little while, but in the end, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And you're going to have to go there. You're going to have to move away from power, Peter. You're going to have to move away from being in control. You're going to have to move away from calling the shots. You're going to have to move away from having the last word, from getting it your way. You're going to have to walk to places, and I'll walk with you, but it's going to be places that you would rather not go. Now, I'm okay with that for about 30 minutes. But not a lifetime. But see, Jesus already wrestled that one down. He's trying to get his main man, Peter, to wrestle that down. Peter, it's not about you. 
It's not about your power. It's not about your popularity. It's not about what you accomplish. It's about where I'm going. And so as we think about the next step, I want you to consider those three things. It's interesting to me that when Jesus is up on this high mountain and Satan shows him all the glorious parts. And he says, Jesus, you can have all the glorious parts. I wonder if Jesus thought, I didn't come for the glorious parts. I'm not interested in the glorious parts. I'm not going to do something foolish for the glorious parts. I came for the inglorious people. And I am going to do something foolish for them. I'm not going to do something that looks like it's useful. I'm not going to do something that's popular. And I'm going to do something that looks like the opposite of power for the inglorious people. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know what kind of step you're calling people into. It may be that there's some people here that just know it, just seeing the picture, even before the sermon, they, they, you've, you've already been trying to help them see, just be this kind of person, move in this direction, take a step towards this person, this place. Uh, some of us are take some time over the next few weeks to think through what that could be for us this year. But I pray that we would spend the appropriate amount of time in Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, before we get out onto the stage and really wrestle down, wrestle down these three things to move away from being accomplished, from being useful, from being popular and having power, to really being with you and pointing people to you and serving them in Jesus' name.